0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter in chapter number 1. We're in a series right now of dealing with the Holy Scriptures. And what we're doing is taking several different messages, 24 messages, and examining the Holy Scriptures. In fact, we could say it like this, that we're doing almost like a college level class on Bibliology. Bibliology is the doctrine of the Bible, the study of the Bible. And we want to have an understanding about where the Bible came from, to have a confidence that the Bible that we have in our hand is indeed what God intended us to have, and to be able to prove it through the Scriptures. And it's one thing to be able to just grow up and say, well, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. But what happens when you're challenged on it? What happens when someone goes, well, are we missing books? Well, I don't think the Bible is God's word. I think it's written by man. I think the Bible has mistakes. When those things come up to us, we need to be ready always to have an answer for the reason of the hope that's within us, to be able to defend what we believe from the Word of God. And so as we're taking some time this year to promote the Word of God and put an emphasis on the Word of God, we have to start by the study of the Word of God. And we started this week by speaking about inspiration, that on Sunday morning we spoke about the inspiration of Scriptures, speaking about the Holy Scriptures. We built upon it on Sunday night where we talked about the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. The idea of plural or verbal means the words. Plural means each and every. And then when you put it together, it means that we believe that each and every word in the Bible is inspired by God or given by God. And that we believe that this book is God's word every bit of it. Every word is what God intended us to have. Now with that, we also have to build upon inspiration by understanding that God, when he gave us the words, he also gave us human penmen instruments to put down his words, to receive his words, and to give them to us, and that the human penmen are a very much an important part of inspiration, whereas God is the power. He had to use an instrument to get his word in a form written down, spoken to us, that we can receive for ourselves. So if you don't mind, we've already kind of touched on this passage before, but we're going to use this as our jumping off point again. The book of Second Peter chapter number one, Second Peter chapter number one and notice with me in verse number 20. Second Peter chapter one in verse number 20. Knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is given of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now as we start off If you have not already, would you please, uh, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark the phrase that we find in the book of 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 21. Notice this. Holy men of God. Holy men. Men of God. And with this, we want to teach tonight, almost like if I was teaching a college class and you're my freshman, and we want to give you notes today so that way you could be able to have them for yourself, dealing with the human penmen of the Bible. The human penmen of the Word of God. We would like to study these lives of these men and how God used them to give us the Word of God we have today. The human penmen of The Word of God. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for the great privilege it is to have the Bible in our hands, that we could read it for ourselves. And I'm asking that you would just help direct our minds and direct our hearts as we speak about this subject. I understand that you've given a little bit of knowledge to me, but I don't want to depend upon my knowledge, my intellect, my learning. I want to depend upon you and your holy Word and your direction. Even in this message here as we teach. That you would by your Holy Spirit would bring this across. Make it clear. Let it be understood. Thank you that we can trust you in these matters. Fill me with your spirit even now. Thank you Lord in Jesus name. Amen. As we start off I want to just hit a couple different things here. As we build upon this. We want to start off first of all by exploring this text. Speaking about the holy men of God. The holy men men of God. Now notice if you don't mind in verse 20 as it describes, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Again, we've explained this before that the Bible doesn't mean one thing to you and mean a different thing to me. That when God gave the scripture, there was one interpretation, one thing that he meant by it. Now there's one interpretation, but there's many applications. There's different ways we could apply the text, but there was one thing that God meant by the text. Then he goes on to explain, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So none of the writers on purpose were trying to write scriptures by their own will. Meaning some guy didn't wake up one morning and say, I have nothing else to do today. I think I'm going to write some Bible. But instead it was God that put them and led them to do so. It wasn't of their volition. It wasn't of their decision. That uh, Meaning that they didn't do it from I want to write something. They were just used by God to give us the scripture. Now notice something else as we study the character of them. They were holy men of God. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God. The idea of holy is that they are separated and pure unto the Lord." Now this is important because it is the character of the men that make the Bible acceptable. Let me give an example. Let's say that there's a notorious serial killer. He's killed a lot of people. He's just a genuine bad guy. And then he comes up and says, you know what? I had a vision last night. I know that I had a plate full of nachos and hot sauce and pizza on top of it, but I had a vision last night and I've written some scripture. This came from from God and I want you to read it and I want you to accept it would you be willing to accept his writings as coming from God well why not because of the character of the man however when you have an Isaiah who clearly walked with God when you have a Jeremiah who clearly walked with God and they came and they said you know I believe the Lord gave this to me this is from his word would you read it we'd be more willing to accept that as from the Lord because of the character of these men. That each of these men were separated from God. They were desiring to be used of God as people. Whatever you would have me to do, I just want to be used of you. Lord, you saved me. You have something in my life. I want to be usable. And these were people who had separated themselves. People who had holy men. People who had testimonies. People who had... had um, had dedicated their lives for the service of God. These were the type of people that others were willing to accept as instruments used of God. That makes sense. That these weren't scumbags. These weren't people who who had failed at everything else in life, so I guess I'll go to the ministry. But these were people who had dedicated themselves and were clearly used of God in other ways that enforced, authenticated that what God used them to do was indeed the very word of God coming from God himself. Now with this, we also understood that the lives of unregenerate men or unsaved people or infidels or heathens would definitely be rejected. They would not be accepted. Now Over the course of history, about 1600 years, God used about 40 different human instruments, human penmen, to record the scripture. These men came from different backgrounds. They came from different periods of time. Some had different languages. Some had different styles. But all of them were used of God. Some of them were kings. Some of them were just uh, priests. Some of them were related to him to uh, kings. Some of them were related to priests. Some were just old herdsmen, cowboys, who God sent from the south to go speak up to the Yankees up north. There was just some who were just fishermen. But God used different people of different places to be the specific instruments. Now, why does that make sense? Well, we understand that even today, not all of us have the same pen. For example, I use only one pen. I just use the black big uh, pin that comes from Walmart. You get to a pack for about $2, a whole pack. I don't use anything else. This is the only thing I have. If someone else makes me sign something, I usually try to, I always have a pin in my pocket. I just got to have this pin. But this is the pen I've chosen to use. Now, even though it's black ink, someone else may have a different black pen and it shows up different. Maybe a different texture. Maybe instead of a ball point pen, they use a fountain pen. Maybe they use old quill and ink. Maybe they use something else. But the ink may be different, even though it may be the same color. But then you go beyond color. There may be someone who says, I like the blue pen. Some people say purple. Some say, all I use is pink. It has to be pink. But you have different colors, different textures, different things that shows up. (coughs) You have different instruments altogether. Well God used different instruments to be the human penmen. And you cannot separate the lives of these men from the writings themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, we know that each pin has to have a process of being made, right? You go to the Bic factory and see how they mix up. Can you imagine having like a big vat of ink that they had to do, but they had a formula that they had to do in a certain thing, way they did it, and to put it together. A fountain pen may have something different. There may be someone who has a pen where you actually put ink inside of it. Those are all different processes well, we're just talking about an ink pen here. For God to use a human instrument, they also have the background of their life. There are things going on in the current context of their life that maybe they have an emphasis on. For example, Jeremiah may be writing, and as he's writing, because he's a prophet, he puts more of an emphasis on the prophets of his time. Whereas you have Ezra, Ezra who was a priest may put more of an emphasis on his writings on the priesthood because that was his background and that was the emphasis that he had. Does that make sense? And so you can't separate the human penman from the context of their life because those were the things used to give us that specific instrument that God put together. Now with this, understand some more in verse 21, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That God is the ultimate author of the Bible. This allows the Bible to have a conformity in its message, a uniformity in all of its Bible where it doesn't contradict each other, where it doesn't run over or overlap, but instead they fit together well and they have a conformity of message. By the way, what is the message? It is the message of revealing God to man. It is the theme of God's (coughs) um, redeeming grace from the pages of Genesis to the end of Revelation. We could see the the red strand of redemption woven throughout the pages. That's a common link and it comes because there's one author using different instruments to get his word across now as we talked about these holy men of god something else that i want you to realize is that god had them record things that they could not know about god had them record some things that they could not know about this is one of the reasons why we are convinced that god's the author of the bible because there were certain things that these human penmen could not know about. For example, creation. None of them were there. So they couldn't record from their own experience about creation. They had to be dependent upon God who was there. And God explained what he did to create the heavens of the earth. What he did to create the animals. What he did to create the sun, moon, and stars. The men were not there God was. So God recorded and told them things they could not possibly know of themselves. You know, that goes beyond creation. It goes to science. Do you know that this is not a science textbook? However, in every area that it deals with science, it is 100% accurate upon its science. And with it, there were times that the human penman wrote down things that are scientifically accurate that they themselves could not know. Know about yet. Maybe I could give some examples. The Bible talks about weather patterns and it tells exactly how the weather, weather patterns work. That we understand that we start with <coughs> the rain forming together in condensation and then it comes down to the earth. When it hits as precipitation, it goes down into the earth and then it goes into the ground, it waters it up, and then because of evaporation, it goes right back into the air, and it has that cycle. Well, the Bible speaks about that. But it goes beyond that. The Bible speaks about the earth being in a circle, being round, when people were still thinking that the world was flat for a lot of period of time. The Bible had said it was a circle. The Bible speaks about in the book of Job that there were... That there are streams in the middle of the ocean. We didn't even know there were streams in the middle of the ocean until 1977. Inside of the book of Job, it talks about spreading messages through electricity. Well, they couldn't do that back then. But that's something we do all the time now with television, with radio, with cell phones. In fact, the Bible goes in and it describes electrons. Electrons neutrons and protons, not in those words, of course, but it describes those principles. Those are things of science that those people of the Bible time did not know, nor could they know. But God knew, and he said, write this down. And so we could see lots of things of science that we're still catching up to in our knowledge that the Bible already had recorded, and that could only come from God. Notice, if you don't mind, it doesn't just go with the areas of creation and science, but also of things of Scripture itself. Notice with me in 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and notice with me in verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that shall come unto you. Searching what, or what time or what manner of time the spirit of christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of christ and the glory that shall follow here we could see in this passage here that the Peter is saying that the old time prophets, God would say, Write this down. It's just speaking about the future. It's speaking about things of Christ. And they would write it down and say, Wow, what does this mean? And they would study it for themselves, trying to discern more about the promises that God had given about the future Messiah to them. They did not know what all they wrote, what it meant. They just knew that God told them to write it down. And they did. And they had to search their own writings to try to discover more about it. We could see that also in the book of Daniel. Turn with me if you don't mind to the book of Daniel chapter number 12. The book of Daniel chapter number 12. I know I made reference to some of these the other day. But I'm putting the emphasis again in this different lecture. Daniel chapter number 12. Now in Daniel chapter 12, God has already given Daniel several different prophecies, several different visions of the future. In fact, we often call Daniel the framework of all prophecy. Now keep that in mind, that if you're going to put a puzzle together, the first thing you do is put the frame together. It gives you the border. However, the frame is not the entire picture. Notice with me in the book of Daniel chapter number 12. Notice with me in verse number 8. And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. He said, Daniel, it's not time for you to know about it yet. But what's going to happen is that through the minor prophets, through the life and ministry of Christ, through the book of Revelation, we're going to fill in that framework so we have a complete picture. That's why when you get to the time of Revelation, the book of Revelation is supposed to be understood. We are supposed to understand the book of Revelation and apply it properly. Why? Because we have the framework and we've put all the missing pieces in and the book of Revelation gives us the last pieces so we could look at the entire framework of prophecy and everything fulfilled and we get a clear picture. Does that make sense? All Daniel had was the framework. No wonder he couldn't understand everything that was given to him because he didn't have all the pieces which once again that shows that God is the author behind it and he had human penmen and even there were times that the human penmen did not understand what they were writing they were just being obedient and wrote it down now this brings me to another section how they received the material. So we have these 40 different authors over a period of 1600 years. How did they receive scripture? That's a good answer. How did they receive it? Well, the first way they received it was directly from God. They received it directly from God. Over 7,000 times in the Bible, you see the phrase, thus saith the Lord. That has the idea of a direct quote. Thus saith the Lord. Okay I'm writing down what God said. That over and over God by direct revelation said write this down. This is what I'm telling you. This is what I'm declaring to you. A good example is the Ten Commandments. Remember that the Children of Israel are standing outside Mount Sinai. They gather together. They put up rules that you can't get close to the mountain. And then God speaks to the people directly. And they heard God's voice. Could you imagine what that would be like? Well, that's direct revelation. God spoke to them and said, Thou shall not kill. Well, that's direct revelation. God has given his word directly from him. Something else that we find. How else did they receive scripture? Notice with me, if you don't mind, the gospel record of Luke chapter 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 1. And we'll see something else. Another way that they received scripture. Luke chapter 1. Notice, if you don't mind, in Luke chapter 1, in verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken taken in hand to set forth... In order, a declaration of those things which are more sh- most surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us, which was the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order order most excellent theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of these things wherein thou has been instructed a second way that of scripture being put together was researched material researched material In the Gospel Record of Luke, this is written or penned by Dr. Luke. He was an actual medical physician who traveled with the Apostle Paul. Now, as the Apostle Paul is in prison in Caesarea, he's in prison for two years waiting to see what Felix or Festus or Agrippa or Bernice or any of them are going to do, and he's just kind of stuck in limbo. Well, because Dr. Luke wasn't necessary to travel with the Apostle Paul as he's in jail, Dr. Luke... Luke took this opportunity to go do eyewitness accounts, to do interview with people, to get their account of what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. For example most of the ten or most of the disciples are still alive so Dr. Luke would go up to Peter and say Peter can you tell me about your walk with the Lord can you tell me what it was like to walk with Jesus and he started writing notes and recording then he would go to John John can you tell me about this oh great Andrew Andrew can you tell me more about this wonderful he could probably find some of the other people who were still alive for example if Nicodemus was still alive he could go interview Nicodemus and be able to talk to him at this time mary the mother of jesus is still alive and so he could go up to him and say mary what was it like when the holy spirit spake to you tell us tell me about those events tell me what happened after that oh you went to your cousin elizabeth oh great wonderful how did they well she was expect good and he writes it down Where did this come from? It was research material. Notices in this text here. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which were more surely believed of us. Dr. Luke says, hey, a couple people have already tried this. I'm going to put it in order. But there's people who want to hear the events of Christ in order. Even as they deliver them unto us which were the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of their So I went and talked to the eyewitnesses. I learned from them about what they saw, what they heard, what they encountered and I put it together. This is a big research paper he's putting together in the Gospel Record of Luke and it seemed good to me also having a perfect understanding that word perfect means complete or whole. He says, I've done my research. I've got a good understanding of this material and now I'm putting it together for you to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mayest know of certainty. By the way, in verse number three, Dr. Luke is not writing to a church. He's not writing to a congregation. He's not writing to a Bible college. He's writing a personal letter to a single person to tell them of these events in order. That's a powerful personal letter, isn't it? But we have here research material. Dr. Luke researched the material. How else did the Bible receive? Well, we know that one quarter of the Bible, a fourth of the Bible at the very least, is prophetic material. What do we mean? That God... Prophesied what was going to occur. So, one third, one fourth of the Bible is prophecy. By the way, most of that prophecy is fulfilled, meaning it's our history, but to them is their future. Only God can give the details of the future. Also, may I also say that Bible prophecy is not vague, abstract things that could fit anything, they are very detailed prophecies that could only be fulfilled in certain things in history. And then there's also other material. What do I mean by this? Well, there's other collections. For example, did you know there's lies in the Bible? <gasps> yeah, because God accurately recorded conversations between people. For example, you have the book of Job. In the book of Job, Job's discouraged to having a bad time. And so he has three friends who want to encourage him. And then one peep squeak Bible college freshman who knew everything. And they come to encourage him. But they're all wrong. But the Bible accurately records the conversation that they have between the three friends who are wrong. And then nine chapters of the Bible college freshman who knew more than everyone else. And he was completely wrong. And yet the Bible records accurately their conversation. Well, we're thankful for that, that God accurately recorded their conversation. By the way, that's why we have to be very careful about pulling doctrine from the book of Job because most of it's wrong because it's a conversation between two people or several people. We know that God records lies that Satan says. Now, we know that Satan is a father of lies, but it accurately records the statements of of, um, Satan. We see that there's other things in there. We also know that there's also historical material. Eyewitness accounts. For example, Jeremiah's walking around seeing the destruction of the temple. And he's writing what it smells like. What it looks like. What it sounds like. He's saying, I witnessed these things. Let me tell you what I am looking at currently present tense. We have the historical material. The historical books. So... That brings me to something else. All that was introduction. I wanna cover some of these human penmen. Now I've passed out three handouts. We have some available for those who are watching along with us. But I would like to go walk through the Bible And I would like to give the human penman and describe what's going on in each of these books of the Bible. If you don't mind, we start with the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis was written, human penman was Moses, and Moses is writing this during the time of the wilderness wanderings. Of course, Moses was not there during the time of creation. It's not in your handouts. I gave you plenty of handouts, I'm just going to walk through the Bible if you don't mind. But (laughs) Moses was not there at creation. He was not there with Abraham. He was not there with Isaac. But God recorded to Moses to write down these events as they're on the wilderness wanderings. Then we come to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus explains the year journey of them leaving Egypt and then traveling to Mount Sinai and preparing the temple and the tabernacle. And Moses is used as the human penman to describe that journey. After that we have the book of Leviticus. Once again, Moses is the human penman. That it only covers one month of period of time as they are dedicating the tabernacle, and they're now dedicating it to the Lord, and they're giving rules of how to rule, to live, and the new nation that is governed by God. After that, you have the book of Numbers, which covers about 28, 29 years, as they cover the rest of the wilderness wanderings and the historical events that they run into during the 40 years of wandering In the wilderness. After that, you have the book of Deuteronomy, which covers one month of period. Moses, once again, is the human pinman. But at this time, Moses has been following God's direction for 40 years. God says, All right, Moses, I know you're a preacher. Let me take off the leash. You go to town. And Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law, it's where Moses gets to preach the law to the people. Well, Moses passes away, and Joshua is the new person who takes over, and Joshua takes time to record what he saw, what he witnessed, as they begin to take over the land in a military campaign. After that, we come to the book of Judges, which was probably written by Samuel, the human penman. We don't know for sure, but we believe it was Samuel. And Samuel records this awful 400-year period where, as the book of Judges says, twice Every man did what was right in their own eyes. And Samuel writes down this horrible period to explain the chaos when people don't have God to rule over them. They choose what they believe to be is right and how it all goes crazy. After that, you have the book of Ruth, which was probably once again, we don't know for sure, but we believe was probably Samuel. As the book of Ruth goes back and puts a single emphasis in the period of Judges to illustrate how chaotic and awful it is by examining the life of a single family when they too try to do what was right in their own eyes and they paid a horrible consequence for it. But we showed that God is still faithful and Samuel's recording this incident. We then come to the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Samuel dies early in the book of 1 Samuel and it was probably picked up and continued to be recorded by Gad. Than Nathan, but the book of 1 Samuel records the rise of the first king of Saul. After that, the book of 2 Samuel is the continuation, which talks about the rise of the second king of David. After that, you have the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. 1 Kings and 2 Kings these books were probably written by Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is writing this as a history lesson because he's standing at the threshold of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so he's writing down the history of the nation he lives in and the northern history uh, history of the northern neighbor of Israel. And he's placing an emphasis on the prophets and their workings. You'll see a lot of the different prophets. Elijah, Elisha. You'll see some of these other uh, non-writing prophets all mentioned in the book of 1st and 2nd Kings because he's trying to put an emphasis. Look, God has sent messengers over and over and over to try to tell you to turn around, to behave. Listen to us now. This is not too late. And he writes this history to try to record How the prophets tried to warn the people in the history. After that we come to the book of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Which was penned by by the priest Ezra. Now at this time Jerusalem was destroyed. Wiped off the map. They were put in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They came back To restore Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. And Ezra is writing the history of Israel again. This time with the emphasis on the temple... And the emphasis on the priesthood. Because at this time they have no king. They have no kingdom. But the one thing they have is God's promises of God's house. And he's trying to put an emphasis how important it is to have God's house. And to be faithful to God's house. And to serve in God's house. After that we have the book of Ezra itself. Ezra gives the recording Of how the people return back from Babylon into the promised land. And how they were rebuilding the temple and reestablishing the Hebrew nation, Judaism, once again. After that, it's followed by Nehemiah, which was probably written by Nehemiah. Nehemiah gives his account of they rebuild the walls and trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then you have the book of Esther. Esther was probably, we believe, written by the By Mordecai, the actual cousin of Esther, as he records how God had saved the Hebrew people who did not return, that were still stuck in the Babylonian or in the Persian Empire, and the recordings of the history of how God protected his people. After that we have the book of Job which I mentioned before. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Job. Some people believe Job himself. Other people believe that Moses was the one putting it together. But the book of Job record is the oldest book in the Bible that records the events of a man having a bad day and his friends coming to encourage him and they didn't do a good job. All of it to show that doesn't answer the question why do the righteous suffer but it says the answer is. Jesus, God, that we don't know why, but we could answer who, that we could trust God. After that, we come to the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of of songs put together by various authors, from Moses writing Psalm 90, the oldest psalm, to King David who wrote about 72 psalms. Solomon, Asaph, other writers wrote. This is a collection of psalms. This was their hymn book for the Hebrew nation. Then you had the Book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by Solomon during his uh, middle ages to give wisdom to his son, so that way his son would walk in the fear of the Lord to walk. The way that he should. After that, you have the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written at the end of Solomon's life. Solomon was now an old man who had turned away from God, who had walked away from God, and now as he's looking at his life as an old man, he comes to the conclusion: I just wasted it all. The moment that I turned from God, I could be rich, I could be famous, but it's all a waste if I don't live my life in regard to God. After that, you have the book of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon was written at the when solomon was an early age when he was young and in love and it tells about the story of the shuamite girl who waited for her who waited for her uh shepherd boy who ended up being the king then you have the book of isaiah the book of isaiah speaks so much of the lord jesus christ that some people tongue-in-cheek say that isaiah is the gospel record of isaiah that speaks so much of jesus christ isaiah is the bible in miniature 66 books uh In the Bible, 66 chapters in Isaiah and each of the sections correlate with each other. And Isaiah was a prophet used of God in a mighty way. He was the author of it. Next, you have Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a a ministry spanning 40 years. And for 40 years, he cried and tried to encourage people to turn back. Back to the Lord. But unfortunately he didn't have any converts. No one wanted to listen to him. Which came to the saddest book of the Bible. The book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. And it's written with the idea. Like a reporter on scene. On location. Recording what they see. What they hear. What they smell. And as he walks through the destroyed Jerusalem. And sees the temple destroyed. With tears in his eyes. That's what Lamentation is. It's a weeping and wailing. He records What he sees. After that, you have the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken captive at a very early age, and was brought to Babylon. Now at this time, the people said, "Oh, those people who were taken away, taken captive, they must have really done something bad. Oh, God's judging them. When in fact, the opposite was true. That God had put the people in Babylon to protect him, everyone who was left behind was going to get destroyed. But when God brought everyone to Babylon, he appointed Ezekiel to pretty much pastor those people and to take care of those people to help them looking to to the Lord, Ezekiel and Jeremiah were good friends, and they would often send letters back and forth to one to another. Then you would have the book of Daniel Daniel once again was taken by um, Babylon into captivity at an early age and spent all of his life pretty much in captivity seventy years and During this time, God used him to not only be an administrator within the Babylonian and the Persian empires but God had given the framework of all the future prophecy as well. With that, you have the minor prophets. You had Hosea, who was <laughs> writing to Israel to try to tell them that God still loves them. Come back to him. You have the book of Joel, which was speaking about the great day of the Lord. You have the book of Amos, who was a southern preacher who went up north to Israel to try to convert the Yankees and try to tell them that they needed to get right. You had Obadiah, who was written to the book of Edom to try to tell them that God was not happy, how they were laughing at the judgment upon Jerusalem. You have the book of Jonah who was written to the, who was sent to the capital city of Nineveh. The capital, or Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And how Jonah went and he preached a message of salvation. And it shows that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that half a million people had turned and repented to the Lord because of the message of the prophet. After that, you have the book of Micah. Micah was written uh, (laughs) to the nobles of the southern kingdom to try to convince them to turn from their wicked ways. Turn to God. That God has a plan. Turn back to Him. After that, you have the book of Nahum which was written once again to Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire to try to say that God's had enough. You had a chance to repent. You had a chance to live right. You're done. I'm going to destroy the capital city and I'm going to destroy it in such a way that only God could have done it. It was destroyed by water and it was. It was flooded. And then it was buried in such a place that people walked over it. Napoleon and his army walked over it in the 1800s and they didn't even know they were walking over the ruins of Nineveh. After that you have the book of (laughs) Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a Uh, interesting minor prophet because Habakkuk is having a prayer meeting with him and God and him and God are talking back and forth. After that, you have Zephaniah who was written at the zero hour before Jerusalem's destroyed. Once again, pleading along with Jeremiah and Habakkuk, please turn back, please turn back. After that you have the book of Haggai. Haggai was written as the people returned back into the land and now as they're rebuilding the temple they needed some encouragement. And so God sent Haggai and Zechariah to encourage the people to rebuild the temple. The Old Testament ends with Malachi. That is Malachi is preaching. He's trying to say don't go back to the old ways. Follow God. Choose to follow after God. Take this seriously follow after him. Now as we turn to the New Testament, we could see that there's another writing, but let me take a pause. <gasps> take a breath. And I want like you to take to the book of Ezekiel, and I have a handout for this too. The book of Ezekiel chapter number 1. And I want to tie this into the New Testament and the book of Ezekiel in chapter number 1. Good. Trying to see how fast I could go through the books of the Bible in the time that I have. It's good for everyone to know the human penman of the books of the Bible. And how they're related and what's going on. Turn with me if you don't mind to the book of Ezekiel. And we see an interesting vision in the book of Ezekiel in chapter number 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse number 5. And of course we have a handout of the visual vision of Ezekiel. Notice with me in verse number 5. Ezekiel 1 5. Also out of the mist thereof came a likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one of them had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had the hands of a man under their wings, on the four sides, and they had the four faces and their wings. And their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they had they four had the face of an ox on the left side and the four had a face of an eagle. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched out upward and two wings every one were joined one to another and two covered their bodies. And they went everyone straight forward whether the spirit was to go and they went and they turned not when they went. You said what in the world is this? Well the Bible here is describing a creature and as Ezekiel is seeing this creature he notices that it's four Creatures that are actually mended into one, four separate creatures mended into one, and so they're made so they can only move in one direction. And but they're f- four different creatures that are one creature in one. Their wings are put together; they can only move one direction. They face different directions, but they move. This here is a picture of vision of the gospel records that each one of them give a picture of the gospel records in the gospel record of Matthew it is portrayed by the image of a lion that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the gospel record of Matthew was written to the Hebrew mind and it shows that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of prophecy he is the waited messiah and all throughout the gospel record of Matthew you could see that as it was written it was fulfilled it was fulfilled as it was written. As we go to the second creature with the ox, it gives a picture of the gospel record of Mark. The gospel record of Mark shows Jesus Christ as the perfect Servant. Inside of the gospel record of Mark, there is no lineage because no one cares about the lineage of a servant. In it, the servant is always in action. And we could see that Jesus Christ was always in motion. There are 16 chapters in the gospel record of Mark. 12 of those chapters begin with the word and. It shows that continual action. And it shows Jesus Christ had power over dead, over the blind, over devils, over life. Jesus Christ had power. It was written to the Roman mind who respect it Action And as they showed Jesus Christ, he wasn't a got, the one of words. He was a man who got things done. The Romans respected that. The next image we saw is the face of a man. And that was the gospel record of Luke. The gospel record of Luke portrays Jesus Christ as the perfect man. And for the Greek mind, the Greeks were always looking for the perfect man. That's why when you look at Greek architecture and Greek sculptures, you always see the perfectly chiseled and designed men and women beautiful figures that's because the Greeks were looking for the perfect man and as the gospel record of Luke was given it showed Jesus Christ as the perfect man the favorite title of Jesus Christ used in the gospel record of Luke is the son of man all throughout it you see Jesus Christ and you see the gospel record of John which is like an eagle soars high and above all the rest of the gospel records and it shows Jesus Christ as God God himself and is written to the entire world that anyone and everyone could understand that Jesus Christ is is God. The gospel record of John is written at a fourth grade reading level, and it's made so anyone could read for themselves that Jesus Christ is God. Well, as we continue on, we go through the gospel, or through the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's written by Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke himself writes this as a historical figure. Let me tell you what we do. Inside of the gospel record, or sorry, in the book of Acts, you could see that the pronouns, switch to we very shortly which shows that Luke was traveling with Paul and he was saying what we were doing what we experienced and he wrote it down again as another personal letter to Theophilus to let him know here's a continuation of what I told you about Jesus here's Jesus continually work through the Holy Ghost inside of the local churches then we come to the book of Romans all the way to the book of Hebrews and we come to the epistles written by the apostle Paul. These epistles are written to let us understand how a New Testament church is supposed to be run and operated. And God used the apostle Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, to help us understand how to run and operate a local church. (coughs) With that... You have the book of James written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ. The book of James is the oldest New Testament book. And it was written when a time where Christianity was still considered a sect, a branch of Judaism. And what was happening after the uh, the Hebrew people, the Jews, would get saved. They said, listen, I don't have to obey the laws no more. I don't have to do this. I can do whatever I want. And James says, listen, you didn't have to work to get saved. However, your, your works will show that you truly believed. That if you truly believed, your faith will be evidenced in your work. Faith without works is dead. After that, you have the book of 1st and 2nd Peter. Book in 1st and 2nd Peter is written by the apostle Peter for the purpose of strengthening the brethren as Jesus Christ had prophesied to Peter. And it's written to people letting them know persecutions around the corner. Now is the time to start living for the Lord, develop the habit of obedience to Christ. After that, you have 1st John, 2nd John, and 3rd John written by John the apostle when he's about 90 years old. And he's going back to encourage people that the things they heard about Christ is true and real real after that you have the book of Jude the book of Jude is trying to say that listen because we want to defend or carry on the common salvation we have to earnestly contend for the faith that there are false prophets and false doctrine that's continually trying to come we have to stand for the Bible and have to defend the Bible aggressively. And then the book of Revelation, which was written to fulfill the rest of the puzzle pieces and prophecy so we could have a working understanding of of what's yet to come. Now turn back with me to the book of Second Peter chapter 2. You guys have listened well and allowed me to, to um, to speak fast. Many of you gave up writing notes, said that was impossible. You're just going to have to listen to the recording over and over and over to try to get to it. But we wanted to get it in timing fashion. But let's make an application. 2 Peter chapter number 2. Now in 2 Peter chapter 1, we finish off by talking about the holy men of God, that they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let me ask the question as an application. Why is this... Important to know. Why know all the stuff that I just spouted out? Why care about the human penman? Who cares who wrote the Bible? Why is this important? Well, the Bible continues on as it talks about the human penman. That these holy men of God uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Notice with me as it continues that thought in chapter 2 verse 1. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1. But, but... There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon them swift destruction. And many shall follow their purpose fraternious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Why is this so important that you know that God wrote the Bible and that you can trust the Bible? Because there's going to be people who are trying to convince you that the Bible is not true and the things in the Bible are not true and that they're going to try to convince you that their way is right and that what you believed all of your life according to the Bible is wrong. You see, this is a constant thing that whenever you come to the place and you don't know why you believe the Bible is true for yourself, you are open for someone to try to convince you that the Bible is not true. And notice where it says they come from. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you Who privately. You understand these aren't people who are preaching from the pulpit. These aren't people who have authority in a class. These are people who are going to come in in the middle of people and try to pull you aside and convince you that there are books of the Bibles that we have lost and we need to find these lost books. They want to convince you that the Bible is not true that Paul himself was a heretic he hated women and so you better not listen to anything the Apostle Paul says. There's going to be people that says well there's no way that someone could know the future so there are seven different Isaiah's. Some of them wrote after the life of Jesus to record the miracles that happened in Jesus' life. You're going to have people who say, well, the Bible's not true. Paul didn't do this. Moses didn't do this. And they are going to try to rip the Bible from you page by page. And the Bible says this is going to happen. And it says there are going to be people among you. This is why the people have to know for themselves what they believe about the Bible and why. Because it is so easy to allow someone else to take, tell you what to believe. It is so easy to let someone else to tell you what to believe and just listen to me. Whereas the Bible wants you to know what you believe for yourself. And that you should be able to defend it from the Word of God. Because there's always going to be attacks. And let me tell you, dear friend, that as this church gets bigger... And bigger and bigger. That is something that we're going to continue to deal with. Even as small as we are. There are times that people have already attempted to do such things. You need to know. It's one thing. I I know what I believe and why. But that doesn't do any good when someone takes you privately and pulls you aside and tries to say, let me tell you what I think this is. Let me tell you about some missing books and you're missing out in your life. Let me tell you some things that are not true about your Bible, that if you can't defend it for yourself, you're going to be open to them. This is why you, this lesson is so important. This is why this whole series is so important. So that way you know what you believe and why you believe it. So that way people with false doctrine cannot trick you. They cannot deceive you and they cannot twist you. You need to know what you believe for yourself and why. So with that being said, let me ask you this question. How much of the word of God do you know? How much of the word of God do you have laid up? Let me give an illustration. If you were thrown on a deserted island and you did not have a Bible, would you have enough Bible up here and up here to help someone get saved? Would you have enough Bible up here and up here to help someone grow in the Lord if you didn't have a physical Bible with you? How much Bible do you know? If they took away all the Bibles from you, persecution came and they took away all the Bibles, how much Bible could you write down from your memory? How big would your Bible be if all that you had was what you could bring up in your own mind? Let me tell you, don't be satisfied with what little Bible you have. You need to be hiding the whole word in your heart. You need to be getting it more and more. How much Bible can you quote? How many memory verses do you have? Why is that important? Because if you believe this is God's word, then you're going to be trying to hide it in your heart. How much Bible do you know? As a side thing, Can you defend what you believe from the Bible? Do you know enough Bible that you could say, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Let me show you why. Can you explain it to someone? Can you show it to someone? Can you defend the Bible from what Bible knowledge you have? Let me tell you, these are important things. How much Bible do you know?